Well, would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number, Philippians chapter number 4. We're going to read verse number 9. Let me say it's glad, I'm glad to have my mom and my dad with us in the service this morning. Would you make them welcome today? book of Philippians chapter number 4 this morning and reading verse number 9, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, the things which you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The things that you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, Paul said, if you will do these things, the God of peace will will be with you. Title of my message today, and I'll explain it in a moment, is my top ten. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have today to be in your house. Thank you for uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord that is rich and real and mighty and powerful today. God, I pray your anointing will rest upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord, today. Give us ears to hear the word of the Lord this morning, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness. Bless us today all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Well, you may be reseated this morning. Well, today, my wife and I celebrate 40 years of full-time ministry together. Today. It was the third Sunday of October 1972. And yes, for some of you younger ones, there actually was a 1972. It was the third Sunday of October 1972 when we were elected to pastor the Assembly of God Church in the thriving metropolis of Winoka, Oklahoma, population 1,400. My wife and I were just 17 years of age. We had only been married for four months. Uh, we were, at that time, living in a duplex in Oklahoma City. I was hanging drywall. My wife was working a, a part-time job in a little hamburger joint. We were about to purchase a brand new three-bedroom, two-bath home. I was only 17, but I said, I'm not going to throw my money away on rent. We're buying a house. 17 years old. My father heard, and by the way, you were at Midland for our 25th, and now you're here for our 40th, and you didn't even know it was today, did you? But my father heard that we were about to buy a, a house, and my father said to me, Son, why are you buying a house? I said, Dad, because I don't want to pay rent. He said, Son, I thought you were called to preach. I said, I am. I should have said, and I'm 17, okay? <laughs> but I didn't. I said, I am. He said, then go preach. Why don't you go get you a church to pastor? Why didn't I think of that? I mean, come on. That's, that's reasonable, right? No. I thought, I'm not called to hang drywall, I'm called to preach. So at 17 years of age, 
married only four months. I, I called my, my, our district offices of the Assemblies of God in Oklahoma City, and I said, I said hey, I, I'm Mike Benson, and, and, and I have Christian workers' papers with the Oklahoma District of the Assemblies of God, and I want a church. And so we were sent to candidate, or what they call try out. So we were called to candidate or try out for a church. It was a, it was a tiny church in western Oklahoma in a tiny town. We discovered when we got there, there were nine little widow ladies in the church, ages 70 to 93. Two children. I don't know how in the world they got there. Me and my wife. Thirteen in all. The Sunday that we tried out. I'll never forget when I walked in uh, that first Sunday morning. The little widow lady that was in charge asked me, she said, Son, son, she said, where is your father? I said, excuse me. She said, where is your father? You know, the pastor. The pastor who is supposed to preach for us today. The pastor that we're supposed to vote on whether or not he will be our pastor or not. I said, ma'am, I am the preacher. I was 17, I looked 15. I said, ma'am, I am the preacher that has been sent to you to preach. And I've been sent here to try out for the pastorate of this church. She looked at me and she said with a very stern voice, No, you're not. You can't make this up, folks. I said, Yes, ma'am, I am. She said, No, you're not. She she, she said, You don't understand. She said, "We, We asked for an old man. She said, look around, we're all old, she said. And she said, we asked the district to send us an old man our age, and when the last one of us dies, then they can just shut down the church. What a church of vision. She looked at me and she said, you are definitely not that man. I said, well, I'm the one they sent. She said, well, she said, she thought about it. She said, I guess you can preach this morning, she said. I guess you can preach tonight, she said. Because if you don't preach, we will not have a preacher today. But listen, young man, we will not be voting on you. My wife and I, we, we sang our songs and I preached. And then we left and drove back to Oklahoma City. The next day I called the presbyter. I called the the pastor that sent us there to candidate or try out for the church. And I said to him, Brother Schweizgood, they wouldn't even vote on me. He said to me, he said, you kids go back next Sunday and you tell them that I said, vote on you. Well, later I found out that he, he called the little lady that was temporarily in charge Of the church, and he said to her, said, This little couple is coming back next Sunday, and you people will vote. And he said to her, He said, Here's your option. He said, You either elect this young couple as pastors, or we're closing the church. You take them or you get no one, we're shutting down the church. 
It took these nine little widow ladies two weeks <laughs> to decide which was worse, electing us or closing the church. Let me show you a picture of these 17-year-old pastors. Change the lights. Lights on four. This is our first official pastoral picture right here. Now we were probably, we can have the house lights, now we were probably 18 by the time of this picture, so by this time we were seasoned pastors. I'll never forget the Sunday that these nine little widow ladies were going to vote on us as to whether or not we were going to become their pastors. I remember it was a Sunday afternoon. My wife and I had gone to the church. We had gone there to practice singing so we could sing a a special song that night because we were quite the singers back in the day. We were both sitting on the altar after practicing and I, I remember looking at my wife and I remember... I remember asking her, I remember asking her, do you want to become the pastors of this church? She said, no. She said, do you? I said, no. I said, are we going to accept it if they elect us? She said, yeah. I said, yeah. And we were elected as pastor, and we began our full-time ministry together. A year and a half later, we resigned. Many tears were shed that day. One little lady came up to me after I resigned, weeping and crying and sobbing, and she said, I guess this is the way it's got to be. She said, we cried when you come. Now we're crying when you leave. (laughs) David Letterman is famous for his top ten lists. But David Letterman doesn't have a patent on top ten lists. So this morning I want to begin my top ten list. Don't get nervous. I'm only going to get halfway through this morning, okay? Then I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in South Africa next Sunday. You'll have a good preacher. My wife's going to preach next Sunday. And then I'll be back the following Sunday and we'll finish up. So this morning I want to begin my top ten list. I want to share with you the top ten things that that I have learned in my 40 years of full-time ministry. Now this is not all that I've learned. Quite honestly, I've been here nearly 10 years now, so I've already told you all of this stuff, maybe more than once, but I've never put it all together before. These are in no particular order. Let's get started this morning. One of the things that I have learned in the past 40 years of full-time ministry is I've learned that, that obedience offers great opportunity. Obedience offers great opportunities. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future 
and a hope. God has incredible plans for all of our lives. But He doesn't force His plans on any of us. He lays out the plan, He shows us the plan, He challenges us with the plan, but but then it is up to us. We can accept the challenge or we can reject the challenge. We can obey Him or we can disobey Him. But here is what I have discovered, here is what I have learned, and that is obedience is the doorway to God's blessing. Obedience is the doorway to God's blessing. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says plans to prosper you. Not to harm you, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. I don't understand why people have such a hard time obeying God. Because God has your best interest at heart. God wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. Oh, God wants to do incredible things in and through your life. Why why will we not be obedient to Him? God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. Moses had a choice. Would he obey God's call or would he reject God's call? Jesus said to his disciples before they were even his disciples, he said, come and follow me. That's all he said to them, come and follow me. No details, no job descriptions, no salary, no bonuses, no 401k. Come follow me was the invitation. Would they accept his challenge or would they disobey? Let me tell you, God has asked me to go and do and give many, many times in the past 40 years. But here's what I've come to know. Obedience offers great opportunities. Obedience is the doorway to God's blessing. Some of my greatest, maybe all of my greatest opportunities have come to me through the doorway of obedience. Let me tell you that I've had some opportunities because some people before me would not go through the door. Some of my greatest ministry opportunities was because some other people said no to God. They could have been where I ended up. They could have done what I did. But no, no, they, would, they said no to God. They, they, they chose to disobey God. Let me tell you that there are many doors that have opened to me. They only opened to me because somebody else wasn't willing to obey and go through those doors. Deuteronomy 28 and 2 says, And these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Why? Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So let me encourage you this morning, oh, obey God, whether it is His written word. Oh, we balk, we pull back. Oh, oh, it's so hard. Oh, I can't believe God would ask that of me. I can't believe God told me to do that. But oh, let me tell you that, that obedience is the doorway to God's blessing. Amen. Everything that He told us to do in His word, He told it for our benefit and for His glory. So obey God, whether it's His written word that commands you or His spoken word that He speaks into your spirit and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has asked you to do or go or give. Let me tell you, friend, I have never regretted even one time obeying God. And I believe that I am who I am. I believe that I am where I am. I believe that I have what I have all because of obedience. Because I have learned that obedience offers great opportunities. Obedience is the doorway to God's blessing. I've also learned that partial obedience 
is disobedience. Let me tell you something else that I have learned in 40 years of ministry. I've learned that the what is more important than the where. I have learned that the what is more important than the where. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writes, I have learned to be content wherever I am. Now let me tell you, there have been times in the past 40 years when I've been a lot more excited about the what than I was about the where. Let me give you just one example of many. I could give you many, but let me give you one of many. It was March the 26th, 1990, at 2 o'clock in the morning in Elk City, Oklahoma, when God, God woke me up and God spoke these words into my heart. It was not an audible voice, but an audible voice could not have been clearer than the voice that I heard God speak. And God said to me very clearly, Harvest Time Church, Midland, Texas, Odessa Highway. I knew immediately that God was calling me to leave the security and comfort of a church of 300 plus that I was to uproot my family, that I was to move them to Midland, Texas, where I had never, ever been even one time in my entire life, that I was to start a church from scratch, I was to call it Harvest Time Church, and eventually it was to be located on the highway to Odessa. I've been here a while. I think you'll probably agree. I like adventure. I like excitement. I like a challenge. And let me tell you that the bells and the whistles were going off in my spirit and going off in my heart as I thought about the what. Wow, this sounds exciting, man. This is Daniel Boone kind of stuff. <laughs> Wasn't long after this that I made a trip to Midland. My wife couldn't go. She had to stay home with the kids. I made a trip to Midland. Now, where I was living at the time had trees and water and rolling hills and green grass. When I got to West Texas, all I could see was extremely flat land filled with mesquite bushes and pump jacks. That's all. I called my wife and I said, it's ugly down here. I might be excited about the what, but I wasn't very happy with the where. How many of you know how God made West Texas anyway? Do you know how God made West Texas? God had made the sun, the moon, and the stars. Oh, he had made the rivers and the valleys. He had made the oceans. Oh, he had made the lakes. Oh, he had made the, oh, the gigantic trees. Oh, oh, he had made the mountains. He had made all of this beauty. And he gets out to West Texas and he says, what do I do here? Uh, All my West Texas people, I love you. I used to, I used to give a joke. I used to tell people, I say, "Did you hear that a tornado went through the west side of Odessa last night?" No, didn't hear that. Yeah, I said, "Did ten ten million dollars of improvements." I wasn't very impressed with 
the where, but I just couldn't get away from the what because God had placed the what down in my heart and down in my spirit. And here's what I have learned about this. It's the what and not the where that brings fulfillment and happiness and joy and satisfaction to our life. Here's something else that I have learned. The God that calls you to the what is big enough to help you love the where. I can honestly tell you that from the moment that I moved my family into the city of Midland, I immediately experienced joy, fulfillment, happiness, satisfaction that I had never experienced ever before in my past life. You see, the what, the what was so good. Oh, the what was so much in my heart and in my spirit. The what was so good that I never one time complained about the where. Pastor, do you want to move back? No, because God has placed a new what. In my heart. Somebody needs to hear this today. You're miserable because you're constantly complaining about the where. I got so sick of people complaining about the where in Midland, you know. I wanted to tell them if it was so good where you came from, go back. Let everybody be happy. (laughs) Somebody needs to hear this today. You are miserable because you're constantly complaining about the where. Start concentrating on the what in your life and the where won't be such a big deal for you. It's the what and not the where that brings fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. And I'm telling you this morning that the God that calls you to the what is big enough to make you happy at the where. Another thing that I've learned in the last 40 years of ministry, I've learned that focus Produces fruitfulness. Focus produces fruitfulness. 2 Timothy 3 and 10. Paul writes to his young protege Timothy. And he says, hey Timmy, he says, you you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Notice in this list the word purpose. God has a purpose. Another word for that would be that God has a will for every life. And God's will is both inclusive and exclusive. What do I mean by that? Well, God has a general will, a general will for everybody. His will for everybody includes being saved. Oh, He's not willing that any should perish. It's God's will that everybody be saved. That's His general will. It's His general will that that, that those that are saved will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Oh, it is His will for everybody that we read and we study and we learn and we obey and we apply His written word. And this is just a partial list of God's inclusive will for everybody. He also has an exclusive will. His exclusive will is what God expects in particular For us as individuals. 
You see, God expects some things of me that he doesn't expect of everybody from you. And he will expect some things from you that he will not expect from me. And God has specifically gifted each one of us for a specific task. And the fruitfulness of our lives will be determined by the degree of focus on our giftings. This is why I constantly encourage you and constantly teach and preach for you to discover your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. These are a clue as to what God wants to do with your life. And friend, if your life's work and ministry match up with your gifts and talents and abilities, you will be far more effective and far more successful than if you operate outside of your gifts, talents, and abilities. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Invariably, people will pull on you. Oh, invariably, some people will try to steer you away from your focus. Oh, here's the problem. Opportunities will come your way sometimes that do not line up with your particular giftings. You see, the number one reason why people fail is broken focus. Marriages fail. Ministries fail. Moms and dads fail. Why? Usually because of broken focus. James said in James 1 and 8, a double-minded or a double-focused man is unstable in everything that he does. So what should we do? We should discover who God wants us to be. Oh, we should discover specifically what God wants to do in and through our own particular life. And then we need to set our face like a flint and we need to be that person and we need to do that particular thing. We don't need to vacillate and cannot allow ourselves to be pushed or pulled by anybody other than God. The fruitfulness of our lives will be determined by the degree of focus on our giftings. Somebody said it well. They said he who chases two rabbits, catches neither. All right, let's, let's move on. Another thing, number four, that I have learned in the last 40 years of ministry, I, I have discovered that happiness, happiness is not in having. Happiness is not in having. Luke 12 and 15, Jesus said, your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Think about this this morning. If, if happiness was found in having, nearly everybody would be happy because most people have today what they said yesterday would make them happy. If I only had this or that or something else, well, here it is today. You've got this, that, or something else, and you are still not happy. People have in the present what they wish for in the past, and yet they are still not happy. And most people live their entire lives unhappy because they believe the lie that says happiness is in having. Pastor, what is it they want? Whatever they don't have. It might be possessions. It, it, it might be a position. It might be prestige. Oh, if I, can, if I can just have, they think, then, then I'll be happy if I, just, if I could just have. And you know, it starts out very, very early in life. You know, that three or four year old that sees his big brother or big sister trot off to school. And here they are left at home. And they think happiness is over there in that school. And they whine and they cry and they fuss and they pout. 
because they don't get to go to school. And then finally the day comes when they get to go to school. And oh, it's so exciting and so wonderful and everything as long as you're, you know, coloring and having recess and having snacks. And then all of a sudden it turns into work. And, and then they say, you know, man, boy, if I could just be, you know, maybe if I could get to the sixth grade, you know, I mean, because at least when I was in school, sixth grade, man, that was, man, king of the mountain, man. I mean, you know, the big, big cheese, sixth grade, get to ch- sixth grade. Then it's, no, 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 it's junior high, man. Oh, whoa, junior high is where it is happening. It is happening. It all happens in junior high. They get in junior high and it's good for a day or two. And then, well, no, 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 it's high school. That's where it's at. That's where I'll be happy. That's where I'll be content. That's where it's all happening at. Oh, and they get to high school. Wow, man, I'm in high school, man. Now I got some wheels, man. I get to go to lunch, you know. know, And and that's okay for a while. And then it's not, it's not it. It's college. That's what it is. It's college. Woo! I can just get to, and they get to college. (laughs) Wow. It, It ain't in college. If I could just get the degree, man, just get the degree, that's what it is, that's what it is. If I could just have the degree, if I could just have the degree, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, to get the degree. Now they got to go to work. <laughs> so now it's the career. Oh, that's it, that's it, that's the happen. That's where if I do, oh, if I could just have the career, oh, if I could just get the job, oh, if I could just get the position, oh, they get it, they get it, they get it. Oh, that's not it, no, 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 I need to get married. And so they find someone, and they get married. Woo! That's it for a while. But then that's not it. That's not it. It's babies. That's what it is. That's where it's at. If I could just have a baby. And so in time, here comes the baby. But they're only about that big. They don't walk. They don't talk. All they do is spit up and poop. That's all they do. <laughs> How if I could just get these kids raised and out of the house? That's it. That's it. And so they get them raised and they get them out of the house used to happen at about 18, 19, 20. Now it happens at 30, 31, 32. I heard that when, when kids move out of the house, some people have emptiness syndrome. And some people change the locks. And then it's retirement. Oh, the retirement, the golden years. They get there and find out it's not all it's cracked up to be either. And here they are, they've lived their entire life thinking that happiness will come to them with the next thing they can have. But here's what I have learned. Happiness is not in having. Happiness is a decision. And we can choose to be happy or we can choose to be unhappy. 
And I can't choose for you this morning, but I choose to be happy. I choose to do the very best that I can do with my life. And then after I've done the very best that I can do with my life, then I choose to leave the results and the details up to God. Now let me be 100% truthful with you this morning. I'd rather have than not have. Been Been both places. I've had a little picture that we, I showed you, that church that we pastored there. My wife and I lived, we were the last pastor that ever lived in that parsonage. It was infested with rats. Every time it rained, the basement flooded. I'm like, I mean like two, three inches water. It had a carport that was that was sided with cardboard and hog tin. <laughs> My wife and I would look on during the winter in western Oklahoma. It's very, very cold. We would huddle around the open-faced uh, stove in the living room with blankets around us trying to stay warm, watching the curtains blow as the wind w- blowing through the windows, watching literally the snow Come in under the door. I've had a little and I've had a lot. At least from my perspective, it's a lot. I like a lot. (laughs) Much better than a little. I'm I'm just honest. But let me tell you, friend, whether with or without, whether a lot or a little, I choose to be happy because I've learned that happiness is not in having, but happiness is a decision. The fifth thing and the last thing I want to talk to you about and the most important thing that I've learned in the last 40 years, family is forever. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, if you don't provide for your family, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Paul says to Timmy, he says, boy, if you don't provide for your family, doesn't matter how great a preacher, doesn't matter how great a pastor, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And to to provide encompasses much more than just food, clothing, and shelter. How about emotional support? The number one regret of most people at the end of their life is that they did not spend enough time with their family. For far too many people, when they reach the last rung on the ladder, they have been climbing their entire lives. Oh, they are horrified to discover that that ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. As a pastor, I've been by the bedside of a host of people that were dying. I've been there for many people when they took their last breath in this life. Not one time have I ever heard them ask to see a picture of their house or their car. 
Never one time have I heard them ask to see their gold watch that they got from 25, 30, 40 years of service to their company. Not once have I heard them ask to see their bank balance or to see their net worth of their 401k. But I have heard them over and over ask for family. Ask for their husband or their wife. Their son, their daughter, their granddaughter, their grandson. Hear me this morning, please. At the end of the day, all that truly matters in this life is a relationship we have with our God and with our family. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter what certificate or trophies you have. I'm not saying those things are not important, but it really, at the end of the day, all that really genuinely matters is the relationship you have with your God and your family. I remember many years ago now, my son Chad, who was an incredible baseball player, His baseball team had won all the steps that they had to win and now they're in the state baseball tournament in Oklahoma City. It's Wednesday night and I'm a pastor. My son is scheduled to pitch in the state baseball playoff. What am I going to do? I didn't think about it twice. I knew what I was going to do. I made arrangements for somebody to preach for me on Wednesday night. And me and my wife, we drove to Oklahoma City and we sat in the stands. Actually, she was in the stands. I was behind the batters, behind the umpire. (laughs) We came home. Word got to me, one of your deacons and some of your people upset with you, Pastor. You went to a ball game on Wednesday night instead of being in church and you're the pastor. You in trouble. I've been in trouble before. (laughs) Sunday morning came. I got up and I dressed the people very lovingly and very kind. I said to the people, I said, listen, I understand that some of you are upset with me because I wasn't here to give your Bible study on Wednesday night. But I was in Oklahoma City in the stands watching a baseball game. How dare me? I said, I just want you to know, first of all, it wasn't just any game. It wasn't one game out of a thousand It wasn't a play, you know, just a practice game or a practice or just... It was the state baseball playoffs. And my son was pitching. And he may never, ever get to do that ever again. And my son needed his daddy. And I looked him in the eye and I said, Look, I love you and you know I love you. But I love my son more. I said, I don't know how long I'll be your pastor. It might be five years. It might be 25 years. I don't know. But the day will come 
when I will no longer be your pastor. But I will always be Chad Benson's daddy. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. And my choice is Chad. Amen. And I got a standing ovation. Let me take just a moment and talk to our younger parents today. Spend time with your kids. It, it really does go by so fast. I remember when my son and my daughter was little and, you know, old people like me now would say, Oh, you better really soak it all up, man. You better really enjoy it all because it goes by so fast. And I remember how slow it went. And I thought, the old kook. Guy's probably got Alzheimer's or something. I promise you, it goes by so quick. It goes by so fast. So let me encourage our, our younger, younger families, most of them in the second service, but there's some of them here this morning. Let, let me encourage you to spend time with your kids. Go places with them. Do things with them. Take the vacations. Amen. I can't afford a vacation. You can't afford not to. You don't have to go to Disneyland. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars. If you can, that's well, that's good, that's awesome. You might have to have a staycation, but spend the time. Amen. Amen. Take the trips at Christmas time. Oh, take the time off to be there for their ball games, be there for their recitals, be there for their school functions. Let, let me tell you, friend, if you don't spend time with them when they are young, they will not spend time with you when you are old. And if you mess things up with your kids when they are young, you will spend the rest of your life trying to fix it. Trying to help you this night. You will never regret the time you spend with your family. I posted on Facebook before service that this was our 40th Ministry anniversary. I checked just before I came into the auditorium to see if anybody had seen it and responded. I already had about 20 people that liked it. But forget the people that liked it. I had two responses. I had two responses that I was looking for. And in 15 minutes' time, my son and my daughter had responded. Saying, thank you, Dad. You'll never regret the time you spend with your family. If we could have the musicians and singers back this morning as I close. Doing a little reminiscing today. Having a little fun with you today. Thank you for indulging me today. But I, I, I hope that you can learn a little bit from this also. As today makes 40 years of full-time ministry for me and my wife, and we've had our ups and we've had our downs, we've enjoyed our successes, and we've endured our failures. I can honestly say that God has been incredibly faithful to us every step of the way. Most people, Johnny, get to retire after 40 years. I promise you, I am not ready to retire. I'm ready to refuel. 
And I'm asking God to help me and help my wife to do more for him in the next 10 years than we have done in the past 40 years combined. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for the word this morning that we've shared. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you first of all. I thank you first of all for an incredible, incredible ministry partner. Thank you for my wife who has stood beside me and behind me. Who has dried my tears and listened to my jokes that she'd heard a hundred times. Thank you for the incredible woman of God that she has become. I believe some of the greatest opportunities of her life are just happening right now. Doors are opening for her. Thank you for every every place you took us. I thank you that we did move into that rat-infested house. Makes me appreciate my house a whole lot better today. I thank you that I was willing to move down into that basement of that church in western Kansas. We bought our, brought our baby boy home right there and it's special. Thank you for every, every church member these 40 years and these churches that you assigned us to. Thank you for those that loved us. Thank you for those that stood beside us. And There's only been a handful, but there's been a handful of cantankerous ones along the way, and thank you for them too. Because we learn from them as well as we learn from the sweet ones. God, I thank you for what you're doing presently in my life. God, I thank you for the future. Because I'm going to take a couple little sermons and talk about the past, but I'm not focusing on the past. I'm focusing on the future. And you got plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a future and a hope I believe that the greatest years of my life, my marriage, my family, my ministry is in the years that lie ahead. Father, I want to pray one more time as I pray almost every single day that I might be found faithful and that I might be found fruitful. And that my latter days may be greater than my former days. And that I might finish strong for the glory of God. In Jesus' name.